All right, well, we do have a children's class available at this time, and that class just meets in the back of this larger room. Kids, you're more than welcome to make your way to that, if you would, at this time. And if you're unaware, we have a nursery every, every week as well uh, that's just held in the room kind of on the corner over here. Parents, you're more than welcome to use that. We keep that fully staffed every Sunday, and uh, that is yours to use if you would like. Well, it is a joy and great privilege to open up the Word of God together this morning, and so I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, as we consider verses 40 to 45 together today. Mark, chapter 1, uh, verses 40 to 45. Some black poplar trees fell on our property a while back, uh, so I went uh, to cut them up. And I found often with black poplar trees, they often amaze me because they can be standing one day, uh, they can look relatively strong and healthy, and it's almost as if they just crumble uh, the next day. I don't even necessarily mean get uprooted and and, uh, blown over by the wind, just almost just collapse. They tend to rot from the inside out. And when I examined these particular trees and cut them up, there were spots where they were uh, completely hollow in the middle. And in the spots where that wasn't the case, uh, just through and through, uh, those trees, they were just spongy and gross. I I tried to burn a log or two after, and they were so rotten that they wouldn't even burn in the fire pit. They more just smoked. I think that people, if we're honest, aren't all that much different, are they? (laughs) I think about yourself and others. We try to put on a good front. We often look good on the outside, but the truth of the matter is we're often quite rotten and broken on the inside, dirty, defiled, and in a state of decay, uh, regardless of outward appearances. Most people do not realize the depth of their defilement. And our text today uh, is going to take us, it's going to tell us a story of a man who is unclean. And on the one hand, it's, it's as if we, we look at him, it, it seems that he's acutely aware of his problem and his uncleanness and his defilement. And yet on the other end, on the other hand, it's almost as if he doesn't have the slightest clue. And yet standing before this man is one who has the power to cleanse him as well as you and I through and through and through. The text that we're looking at today is a wonderful reminder that Jesus is willing and able to cleanse. So join me, if you would, in Mark chapter 1. I want to read verses 40 to 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, or the idea there is, if you desire, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I I do desire to do that. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now this morning, we're going to just try to work through this story. We're just going to walk right through the narrative. uh, And then after we do that, uh, but as we do that, what I want you to do is try not to make any conclusions about what's going on in this story. 
trying to go, oh, I see what's happening here. I know what's happening in this story with the leper. Try really hard not to do that. Let's just work through the story. And after we've worked our way through the narrative, then we'll come back around. We'll take the long way around and see if we can uh, try to grasp the significance of what is going on in this text. So let's just work with the story for now. I've broken it up into six scenes. Uh, Scene number one, Jesus is approached by an unclean man. Verse 40 tells us that a leper came to Jesus. And as the story unfolds, the language of the text uh, actually doesn't focus attention so much on the man's need to be healed. That's what we would all be thinking. But rather the text focuses on his need to be cleansed. The text repeatedly uses that language. It highlights that this man is unclean. And Jesus is not said to heal him. He's said to cleanse him. This unclean man is in a terrible state. Uh, His leprosy made him physically and medically unclean. And consequently, it also made him socially unclean. And as well, it made him religiously or ritually unclean. Consider, for example, if we just start with his physical and medical state of uncleanness. This man is physically sick and he's dangerously contagious. Not so much that leprosy, you're just going to catch it just like that. But if you do, your life is going to be changed forever. In the Old Testament, leprosy uh, was used as a broad term that seems to have referred to a variety of serious skin diseases. Uh, If we were to go back and take the time to read all the way through Leviticus 13 and 14, we'd see uh, what appears to be multiple skin diseases. And some of these skin problems would actually get better over time on their own. These people have skin diseases and they keep going back to the priest for him to re-examine and he could perhaps pronounce them clean if things improved. But that's not what's going on with this man, indicating that he probably had this specific disease uh, known as what we call leprosy today. It's called Hansen's disease. Uh, Luke, uh, who, by the way, was a doctor, in his gospel account, Luke records that this man was full of leprosy. The idea being that he's in the advanced stages of this disease. He's got it really, really, really bad. The Center for Disease Control explains that Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy, is an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria. We typically focus on the skin when we think about leprosy, uh, but here's the explanation. It can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. The bacteria attack the nerves, which can become swollen under the skin, Uh, and this can cause the affected areas to lose the ability to sense touch and pain. Okay, you can imagine if you no longer can sense touch and pain, that's probably going to lead to injuries like burns and cuts. The nerve damage can also result in crippling of hands and feet, paralysis, and blindness. Leprosy is nasty stuff. The CDC goes on to explain that in in very advanced cases, which Luke seems to be indicating that's the case with this man. He's in advanced stages of leprosy. He is full of leprosy. In very advanced cases, the person may have multiple injuries due to lack of sensation, and eventually the body may uh, reabsorb the affected digits, resulting in the apparent loss of toes and fingers. It also says corneal ulcers and blindness can also occur if facial nerves are affected. Uh, Other signs of advanced Hansen's disease may include loss of eyebrows and saddle to nose deformity resulting from damage to the nasal septum. This man has a condition that I think is very clearly more than skin deep. 
He is broken. He is deformed. And probably if people were honest in his day, this man is hard to look at, though they would perhaps never say that. And he may even be near the end of the road, given Luke's account. But that is not all. In addition, uh, think about his social state of uncleanness. Leprosy was greatly feared, and rightfully so, in the ancient world. If you had it, you were an outcast. There was no alternative. Even your friends and family had to stay away because if they don't, they too could uh, contract the leprosy, the disease. So lepers ended up having to live outside the city gates in order to avoid contact with people. Custom required that in most instances they stay something like 50 paces away. On one occasion, Luke mentions a group of 10 lepers and he describes them as those who stood at a distance. They're, they're over there at a distance, 50 paces probably from everybody else. Back in the Old Testament, Leviticus 13, 45 to 46 said this, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. You can spot a leper from far away just by his clothing, by the way that his hair is worn. Leviticus goes on to say, He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. So perhaps with his hand or a garment, anywhere he goes, just to warn people, he's saying, Unclean, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And Leviticus goes on to say this. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Can you imagine that life? I think it's hard for most of us to even uh, imagine something like that and us living in that kind of situation. A day or two, After the COVID mask mandates were lifted, I was walking around Princess Auto doing some shopping and uh, I was not wearing a mask at the time and I walked uh, down an aisle and I I came kind of around the the corner of an aisle, turned the corner and I caught this couple just completely and totally off guard and as soon as I rounded the corner, they literally threw themselves up against the shelving like this and turned their faces away from me in disgust. And I was in this really, I was kind of trapped. I couldn't really go backwards. I couldn't really go forwards. And I just walked on. (laughs) I didn't really take it personally, but it certainly struck me because I felt something in a small way that I don't think that I had ever felt before. I had never felt uh, anyone actually like seriously repulsed by my presence I mean, some of you have probably felt that slightly, but this this was strong. And that feeling was new and something that most of us know nothing of. We were just not used to this. And that feeling would have defined this man's very existence as people saw him repulsive. You are disgusting. You are dangerous. We cannot be near you. In every single relationship of this man's life. We could speak as well of his religious state of uncleanness. According to the Mosaic law, lepers were ritually unclean. Uh, Many believed that leprosy was the judgment of God on a person. In 2 Samuel 3.29, the house of Joab is cursed with these words. May the house of Joab never be without one who is leprous. And perhaps this man felt, whether he was certain of it or not, perhaps he felt that God was judging him. The unclean man is in a terrible state. And then this unclean man makes a very, very bold move. 
Verse 40 says, and a leper came to him. This is crazy. Luke says this event took place in a city. The leper came into the city, presumably, and walked right up to Jesus. Again, this is a bold move on the part of the leper, and this is not okay, according to custom. We've all probably seen sports highlights of the crazy fan that uh, runs out on the soccer field or on the tennis court or the, the baseball diamond or the basketball court or whatever. And they, they've got their few moments of fame being crazy or whatever before all the security guards just run out there and tackle him and remove him from the game. It's not okay, that scenario. And in one sense, this is a little bit like that, but with a few key differences. For example, there's real danger involved here. And this man is suffering. And he makes this bold move, and then the unclean man demonstrates unpresumptuous faith. Look at verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, if you desire, you can make me clean. The man gets on his knees before Jesus and he begs him, if you will, if you desire to do so, you can make me clean. You'll note that there's really no lack of faith in this man. He does not question Jesus' ability to cleanse him, only his willingness. There's no presumption. The man starts his statement with a big if. If you are willing. He's under no illusion that Jesus somehow owes this to him. It's kind of like he's saying, listen, I understand. Like, you, you don't have to do this for me. I get that. But I know that you can if you desire to do so. And so I'm begging you, would you please cleanse me? Does Jesus desire to cleanse this man? Well, what the leper does is certainly audacious and it's socially unacceptable. And so it comes as no surprise that scene number two, Jesus strongly responds to the unclean man. Jesus is moved with something. What is it? You might say, well, compassion. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I would just highlight for you that the NIV reads as follows, Jesus was indignant. And that translation is a very real possibility based on the textual evidence. It is quite possible in this scene that Jesus is moved with indignation. What this man has done is not okay. After all, he could pass his leprosy on to Jesus. But is that why Jesus is indignant? Well, in the context, that's certainly, that, that can't be what's going on. Is Jesus furious with the man? No. That doesn't even seem possible. Then if Jesus is indignant, what is he indignant about? In Judges chapter 10, verse 16, the RSV says that God became indignant over the misery of Israel. And Whether or not it is specifically taught in this particular text, when Jesus sees this man ravished by leprosy, he no doubt sees the curse of sin, He no doubt sees its ravishing effects. A few years ago, I was in Poland. I had the chance to visit the famous prison camp called Auschwitz. Uh, We also went over to Birkenau as well. And if you've never been there, let me just tell you, um, it 
it is a very, very sobering experience to walk through those famous gates at Auschwitz and walk by all the buildings and, and be reminded of all the, the atrocities that happened in that place. It's a sobering experience accompanied by a vast array of emotions. And if you can walk through a place like that without feeling a sense of some kind of, this is wrong, uh, an indignation of sorts, then something is probably wrong with you if you don't feel that. And it would seem that Jesus is likely experiencing something similar here. Jesus is standing in a world that is not like the world that he created in the opening pages of Genesis. And he hates sin. He hates its effects. He hates the curse. And he is indignant. Moved with indignation, but most prominent in this verse, Jesus is moved with compassion. Look at verse 41 again. It says, moved with pity. And then we have a demonstration of that. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus is not repulsed by this man. He does not uh, pull away in revulsion. On the contrary, Jesus moves towards him in pity and compassion. Leviticus chapter 5 verse 3 forbade people from touching a leper. You can't do that. This man, being in the advanced stages of leprosy, had more than likely not been touched by another healthy human being in years. Not even his own mother would touch him. And what does Jesus do? Well, the text says that he reached out his hand and he touched him. He touched him. But it doesn't stop there. Scene number three, Jesus speaks to the unclean man. With his words, Jesus conveys that he is indeed, as the man said, able to cleanse him. He's more than capable. But the man was already confident of that. That's not really what he's getting at. He did not question Jesus' ability to cleanse him, but his willingness or desire to do so. And so Jesus opens his mouth and Jesus expresses his desire to cleanse the unclean man. He says this, he says, I will. And what he, he doesn't mean by that, I'm going to do that for you. That's not the, the precise meaning of that phrase, I will. What he's saying is, I desire that. I do wish to do that. I desire to do that very And then Jesus says to him, be clean. Jesus pronounces the unclean man clean. Those were powerful words. Uh, Mark said something happened here immediately as Jesus is speaking. And that takes us to the fourth scene. Jesus miraculously cleanses this unclean man. Uh, Look at verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus miraculously healed this man, but the text described it specifically as what? Not as healing, but as cleansing. And the cleansing is instantaneous. Mark says immediately the leprosy left him. Again, much like the other miracles that we've seen so far in Mark, there's no like process to this. It's just boom. There's no period of uh, convalescing and getting better over a period of time. The leprosy was completely, totally, visibly gone in a moment, instantaneous. And this man is actually uh, healthy and fit 
now, it would seem. So much so that Jesus is about to send him on a massive trek from where they're standing there all the way to the temple in Jerusalem, a multiple-day journey, and back. The cleansing is instantaneous, and this cleansing is thorough, complete, and we might even say recreative. Uh, This leper had likely experienced the permanent loss of parts of his body and functions of his body. Fingers, toes, eyebrows, skin, sight, mobility, even just the, the, the ability to speak clearly without a raspy voice. Today we might be able to treat leprosy. Still common. But there is no cure. There is no way. Like once leprosy is set in, you can't undo what it's done. So that a person could be made whole again. Jesus did not merely stop this man's leprosy. He recreated what was lost. New and whole. This is a miracle. And the cleansing, we should note as well, is passive. It's not done by this man at all. And Mark seems to be highlighting in that at the end of verse 42, he says, and he was made clean. He didn't make himself clean. He was cleansed by another. Jesus cleansed this man. This is the work of Jesus. Uh, Further, I would just highlight, highlight here that Jesus didn't cleanse this man because he demonstrated great faith, per se. It seems unwise to read that rationale into the text when the text actually gives us a very specific and different rationale. His faith is not what this particular text points to. Jesus cleansed the man because Jesus was moved with compassion. And because Jesus has the desire and power to cleanse. This is a miracle that magnifies Jesus. And if we focus too much on the man, we'll actually blunt the impact of this story. This story is about Jesus Christ. Scene number five. Jesus expects the cleansed man to obey him. Verse 43 says that Jesus sternly told the man what he was going to do next. And it's strong language, this Jesus sternly speaking to him. The word used refers to uh, the flaring of the nostrils, like, like what a horse might do in battle. Jesus is quite serious and quite firm. Get out of here. And he gives the man two commands to obey. Basically, number one, don't tell anyone. Seriously? (laughs) It's like you've been a leper forever and Jesus just healed you and you're not going to tell anyone? And yet that's precisely what Jesus says. Don't tell anyone. And number two, he tells him, go up to Jerusalem to the temple and do exactly what Moses commanded in Leviticus 14, 1 and following. Follow the prescriptions of the Mosaic law about cleansing as a proof to the priests. Obedience to the scriptures is required. Um, Look at verse 43. Jesus sternly charged him, sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Obedience to the scriptures is required. Obedience to Jesus and the scriptures is precisely what Jesus expects of this man. Now, you would think, even as crazy as the request, that, the command that Jesus gives to this man, as crazy as it feels on the surface of things, you would think that after the miraculous cleansing that Jesus provided for him, that he would obey. 
as crazy as it is. Even if it didn't make sense. But the man does not do that. And verse 45 goes on to highlight that disobedience hinders God's work. Look at verse 45. But he went out and he's literally going to do the exact opposite of what Jesus told him to do. He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town as he intended to do in previous verses, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. When you don't obey Jesus, there's a sense in which we could say you hinder Jesus. God is sovereign. God is going to do what God intends to do. But there is a sense in which when you do not obey Jesus, you hinder Jesus. The primary intent of Jesus was to go from town to town preaching the good news of the kingdom. You remember Jesus said that quite clearly in verses 38 and 39 to his disciples. We're not going back to Capernaum. We're going to go from town to town, city to city, and we are going to preach the good news. And the miracles were secondary to that and meant to validate the message that Jesus was preaching. When this man disobeys, What people are now hearing first is not the good news of the kingdom. What they're hearing first is not the message that Jesus came to declare. What they're hearing about first is the good news of the miracles and the benefits that Jesus can provide for you. They're hearing about the healing first, not the gospel. And the benefit-seeking crowd becomes so great, it just grows and it grows and it grows and it grows so that Jesus can't go from town to town preaching the gospel But instead, he ends up out in desolate places. And the crowds are swarming to him. At times, he's not even on land. He's he's pushed out on the sea in a boat so that he can preach and teach. Disobedience hinders God's work and limits the cause of Christ. And scene number six, there's actually one more scene here, I think. Jesus trades places with the cleansed man. The account, if, if you look at the story carefully from start to finish... The account ends with Jesus where the leper began. And it ends with the leper where Jesus began. They trade places. The leper went from out in desolate places and he goes into the city. And Jesus went from the city and he's essentially driven out into desolate places. The one outside goes in and the one inside goes out. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the primary intent of this story, but surely there is a picture there of Christ's work on behalf of the unclean. That it is characterized by a great exchange. All right, so we worked through these six scenes. And hopefully you're able to sit there and not go, oh, I know what's going on in this story. We're we're trying not to do that. Now that we've worked all the way through the story, let's see if we can kind of take a long way around and what is the significance of this text? Well, is it that you should have faith like the leper and you'll be cleansed from your sins just like he was cleansed of his? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that we should presume that this leper was ever cleansed of his sins. Yes, he was medically cleansed. He was socially cleansed. He was perhaps ritually cleansed. But was he ever spiritually and eternally cleansed from his sin? Did this man even recognize that need? Maybe. Maybe not. The text doesn't even tell us. Maybe that's not what the significance of this story, maybe that's not what this text is driving at. 
Jesus healed many people who would go on to spend eternity in hell. Just look back at Capernaum. This story is not primarily about a leper. As I said, this story is about Jesus. It's meant to teach us about him. Everything about this story is meant to back up and undergird the message that Jesus preached back in chapter 1, verse 15, when he stood up and he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he called people to repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus is declaring an authoritative message and he is proving its validity again and again and again and again. Proof after proof after proof after proof. Did you catch what Jesus told the leper to do? He says, go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. And then this next line, for a proof to them. The Jewish people and the priests in particular lived and operated in a, a system of rituals and sacrifices and all kinds of different things. And all of that was pointing forward to something. It was foreshadowing something greater than the system itself. For example, in Leviticus 13 and 14, all the laws about leprosy involved priests examining people's skin conditions looking at the evidence of what they're seeing in people's skin, and after looking at that, then making pronouncements, either clean or unclean. They were perpetually looking at evidence and making pronouncements. Everything the Jewish priests did in that process was reactionary and responsive to the evidence. We look at this guy, here's his skin condition, and we react to what we see. We respond to what we see, and we make a pronouncement. They couldn't make a leper clean. And what Jesus does in this text is transformational. He's not reacting or responding. He's transforming the entire situation. The Mosaic law could only offer ritual cleansing, not true cleansing. It pointed to and foreshadowed true cleansing. And when the priest, (laughs) when this man, if he he would have showed up in Jerusalem, and we're not told if he did or not, but if he did, when the priest looked at this man, And they examined the evidence, as Leviticus 13 and 14 told them to do in every situation. When they looked at the evidence of this clean man, it would have been proof to them that the fulfiller of the law had come. And if they looked at that evidence, look at it. Look at this man. Have you ever seen this before? Look at the evidence that you see. He's whole and he's new and he's clean. Now make your pronouncement. But it's actually not supposed to be a pronouncement about this man being clean. It's supposed to be a pronouncement about the one who did the cleansing. Who is he? He's Jesus, Lord and Christ, the fulfiller of the law. It would be a proof to them that the fulfiller of the law had come. And if rejected, that evidence would incriminate the priests. And if accepted, it would be their great hope that our Messiah has come. What's the significance of this text? Well, a few things come to mind. First, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. Everything there, Jesus is the one that it's all been pointing to. He's here and he's come and he has the power to cleanse. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law and as such, 
Jesus has the desire and power to cleanse you from your sin. Uh, Just think back through this story. Jesus is approached by a man with a skin condition that is more than skin deep. And all that's seen there takes us back to the Mosaic Law, which is pointing to something greater. And I think it is a reminder to us when we go the long way around through the Mosaic Law that all of us stand before Jesus in a terrible, terrible state. A condition that is more than skin deep. It's through and through. It's defining of who we are. It's hit our core, uh, the core part of our being and of our system. We are unclean. We are defiled. We are dirty. We are sinful. What do we do with that sin? Can anything be done? We are dead men walking around. And it's interesting in this story that when this man talks to Jesus, we see potentially indignation and certainly compassion. I think sometimes people, they wonder the same thing. Would Jesus cleanse me? I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty dirty. (laughs) I've made such a huge mess of my life. And maybe for you, the question is not, could God save you? The question is, would God save me? And I'll just remind you how Jesus responded to this man's ritual, medical, social uncleanness. Jesus is not happy with what he sees in his broken, cursed world and that people are suffering under it as a result of their sin. And Jesus is moved with compassion and he says to him, I do desire to cleanse you. Sure. Your life's a disaster. Your life is broken. But my heart and my desire to cleanse is stronger and greater than any of that. And Jesus has the ability to actually pronounce a verdict of clean. And we'll find that as we make our way through the story of Mark, what Jesus does throughout the story is he lives perfectly, goes to the cross and dies and satisfies Christ's wrath. And when Jesus cleanses people, it's declarative. He declares something. You are clean. It's not go work for it, go try to be clean. I pronounce you clean, whole, new. And it's instantaneous. It's a miracle. It's recreative. It's passive. This man does nothing. He doesn't wash himself up. He doesn't try to heal himself of his leprosy. Jesus does it all. And I think from that same picture that that is precisely what God wants to do for every man. That men must recognize that they are sinners, that they are defiled through and through and through. But there is one who has the power and desire to cleanse you. And his name is Jesus. And maybe all you need to do is just ask, Jesus, would you cleanse me? I don't feel worthy of cleansing. I know that I am dirty and I know that you are God and Savior and that you can cleanse me. Perhaps my biggest question is, if you would or not, but I'm going to ask, Jesus, would you cleanse me of my sin? And we actually know from Scripture, the Lord is quite clear. He says, I am not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He's already given us the answer. He's willing to cleanse you. And again, all this story is pointing us back to this message at the beginning of Mark chapter 1 and and verse 15, I think it is, where Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. The king is here. 
You're standing face to face with him. His name's, it's Jesus. Repent of your sin and believe the good news about Jesus' power to cleanse you. On the healing note, it's not always Jesus' desire to physically heal people now. Just so we're clear. Sometimes his will is different, but it's always his desire to spiritually and eternally cleanse. Always. Every time. Uh, Regarding the more facts about the significance of this text, Jesus expects you to obey his commands. That seems quite clear. Jesus points people back to the scriptures again and again and again. Jesus is one who upholds his words. He says, you obey these. And on the flip side of that, Jesus warns that your disobedience will hinder his work. And so I encourage you to obey Jesus even when it's not even when it's nonsensical. You want the Great Commission to advance. You want the gospel to advance. And sometimes you open up the pages of Scripture and the things that Jesus says there don't make any sense. In fact, they seem nonsensical when you look at the world in which we live, our very advanced society, of course, that says you should do this and you should do that. And what Jesus says seems to be different. Or contrary to what we feel inside of us. Jesus warns that your disobedience will hinder his work. What Jesus says may never make sense to you. How could the leper understand why Jesus told him, hey, don't tell everyone. Go do this instead. He doesn't have all the information for all that to make sense. Jesus just said, do it. And oftentimes in your Christian life, you're going to open up the pages of God's word and you're going to go, this does not make sense to me. Why would I do that when I feel this? Why would I do that when everybody else says, well, you should do this instead? Because Jesus said so. And he warns that your disobedience will hinder his work. Jesus is willing and able to cleanse. And maybe you even sit here as a Christian and you've experienced God's cleansing. This is the same Jesus that we keep coming back to every time we feel the weight of the guilt of our sin. Every time we sin, we keep falling on his feet. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness of me. Thank you for your cleansing of me. Thank you for your power to make me new and whole and transform me. Will you bow your head with me and close your eyes at this time?